chapter 10, verses 1 to 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Amen. Thank you, Doug, for reading the word of the Lord to us this morning. Well, I am, I didn't introduce myself, I'm Steve Atkins, I'm the lead pastor of this amazing church, Hillcrest Church. What an incredible, hundreds of people who make up this body, and they are an incredible blessing to me, and so I am very honored to be able to, um, to lead and to be a part of what God is doing in this church. Today, I just want to start with saying hi to our church family online. Uh, if you're joining us online, it's good to have you with us. Uh, can I ask a request of you? If you're online, maybe you can just fill up the comment thread with answers to these two questions. I've got a couple questions for you. It'll help you think about what we're going to talk about today. First question would be, have you ever helped a neighbor? Or have you ever been helped by a neighbor? And if so, either of those scenarios, did it change your relationship with them? Did it stay the same or did it get a little bit better? I'd just be curious to know. So feel free to fill up the comment thread with times where you helped or were helped by a neighbor. And if it changed your relationship, that's the thing I'm really wanting to get at today. I had a neighbor and we had sort of a mutual help experience recently. My neighbor, Dean, just across the street from me, um, he, uh, I saw him drive in one day in his truck heavily laden down by like a cubic yard of red cedar mulch. And I looked over and I was like, wow, where did he get that? So I booted across the street and I asked him, where did you get all this red cedar mulch? And he said, uh, you know, I got it out of town and got a good deal on it. And he told me all about it. And I was like, wow, I wanted some mulch for my fruit trees in my yard. So I said, oh, that's great. It's like, uh, you know, it's a, that's a lot and I don't have a truck. But I said, that's really cool that you got that. And he said, well, let's see how it works. So he he did his trees in his yard with all these mulch, and then he, he came back, and we talked about it again, and he said, you know what, I could go for another sort of half load, and I said, well, I'd love a half load, and uh, maybe we could split it together, but he, he said, well, I got a truck, and I said, well, that's great. Now, something came along in the process is that he broke his hand working, so he's like, well, I, don't, I can't really do it now because I can't, you know, wheelbarrow this stuff into my yard, and, and I said, listen, you have the truck. And I'll make sure that the job gets done. If you bring it, I'll make sure half gets into your yard and half gets into my yard. And he said, okay, that sounds like a great deal. So he went out there, got another, you know, huge bale of red cedar mulch. And uh, when he arrived, I said, okay, you just just sit back and supervise because we're going to make sure the job was done. And there was my two teenage sons and one of their friends. And I said, actually, we're both going to supervise today. And uh, it was great. It was what you call a win-win. The win for me was I didn't have a truck, but my neighbor did, and so that was awesome. And the win for him was that uh, I got the work done. 
vicariously through the boys. And um, so every time I look over at my neighbor, Dean, I have a very nice, positive thought towards him. I think about what other big tasks could we take on that we could make the boys do, you know? That would be awesome. Anyhow, so maybe this summer we'll come up with something else. But um, we're talking... Uh, we're in a series called Open Doors. You might see the open doors here. And uh, we're, we're using the metaphor of open and closed doors. What's a closed door? A closed door is when there's an obstacle in the way for people coming to understand and experience what Jesus has done for them. And we're talking about how following the steps that Jesus gave to his early followers can help us, modern-day followers of Jesus, in the same way to see doors open to Introduce people about the good news of Jesus. So if you've missed it, last week I'd encourage you to listen to the message from our friends Benji and Jessica McNaughton from California. They recorded an incredible message specifically for us here in Moose Jaw about how the path to opening the door is to begin with blessing. Start with blessing. and Blessing opens the door to the house. Blessing opens the door to the house. So that you can take the next step, which is to spend time with people. And so blessing will change your heart attitude. It will also change the spiritual atmosphere around a person. When you're praying for blessing in their lives, I walk my neighborhood. I pray for blessing for the different people I know. I'm getting to know more and more as I go. It's a big neighborhood. There's 80 houses on my crescent. So that's a lot of houses. But I walk the neighborhood and I pray. Everything I would want for my family, I pray for the families in our neighborhood. So I pray for good marriages. I pray for uh, people to advance in their careers. I pray for uh, people to uh, prosper financially and have good health. Um, I pray for them to have good relationships. I pray for uh, that their lawns will be green. I, I pray for everything that I could possibly think that I'd want for my own self. I pray that for other people. That's starting with blessing. And you know what? It changes your attitude. It changes your attitude. It changes your heart on the inside. So then when you talk to people, you've already been talking about them to God in the most positive terms. So it's easy when you begin to chat with them that that just comes out of you. Now, if you've been griping about your neighbor in the most negative terms, that will also come out of you when you talk to them. You'll try to filter your words. You'll try to be polite. But you know what? Your body language will give you away. So start with blessing. That was what we learned last week, and I would say I can't do it justice. Go back and listen to that incredible message. It was a great beginning to our, our series. This week, I'm talking about spending time, which is what starting with blessing enables us to do. Spending time with people opens the door to the heart. Opens the door to the heart. And if you do that, you'll be able to go on to what we're going to talk about next week, which is meeting people's felt needs. And when you meet people's felt needs, that's going to open the door to the kingdom. Next week, we're going to have Dave Marr from Assiniboia Apostolic Church. He's going to come, and he's going to deliver that message. And he's a guy who meets people's practical needs. He's all about meeting needs in his community. Their, their church is a great outreach mentality and mindset. And Dave is a great example of a guy who meets people's practical needs, but also their spiritual needs. And he's, he's, uh, God's given him a boldness in that area, and I think you're going to be really inspired hearing from him as he talks about how meeting needs opens the door to the kingdom. It opens the door to be able to share Jesus. And then week four. Week four, we're going to talk about what do you do when you find that you have an open door to share. And I've got a couple guys from the church I'm going to interview, and, uh, and just a neat story about how God opened an incredible door and what God did in that scenario. So you won't want to miss any of these weeks. I guarantee you they're going to be incredible. So our church has, if you look up on our wall, you see these five things. We celebrate big, we connect small, we walk with Jesus, we share the work, and we engage in mission. That's what we're talking about today. We engage in mission. We take the good news about Jesus to the world. It's that call, just like these ones. We're called. We're called. We're, in, we're called to give our time and our money and to invest in things that last. This includes building into the kingdom initiatives here in Moose Jaw, and even beyond, even to North Africa and all sorts of places around the world. And this affects our priorities and our programming. It even affects how we plan to renovate our facilities in the days to come. They need to all be focused towards our mission. 
Now, if, you're, if you've been part of Hillcrest for a while, you might know our mission statement. Let's give it a try. See how many people can do it, okay? Uh, so our mission is we strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. Wow, that was really good. Do you want a, do you want a second try? You said, I just woke up. Okay, let's try it again. So I'm going to do I was think I have actually have actions for this, but I never shared them with anyone. And it goes like this. We strive. I'm thinking of, you know, chariots of fire or something. We strive uh, to see all people reconciled to God. I just imagine the father hugging the prodigal son. That's what I imagine. Reconciled to God. And then mature in Christ. I just imagine just standing up with a new sense of strength in you because God's doing a work in your life. So you don't have to do the actions, and I'm not actually going to do them. But that's how I think in my head. I just see myself as so active. So here we go. Let's say it together. We strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. One thing I've learned, well, I've been learning it for years, but it's just gotten clearer and clearer in the last number of months, is that if you aim at reconciling people to God, you get the mature in Christ for free. If you aim for being, see people reconciled for God, you hit two birds with one stone. I am amazed because all my life, I think I've maybe thought of it backwards. I thought if I become more and more mature and more and more mature in my character, more like Jesus all the time, then eventually I'll go on mission. And I think a lot of people have thought that. But I think the enemy has actually hindered Christians in that way. And then he said, okay, no, you're not ready yet. You need a little more maturity. A little more maturity. No, you're not ready yet. Don't go yet. You're not ready yet. And I think that's his way of wasting people's lives so that they never go on mission for God. And so I shared this a couple weeks ago, but I'll share it again. It's like when you're in a classroom with uh, younger students and mature students. When I was a younger student, the mature students would ask all these annoying questions. They'd say, well, okay, I've got a scenario. Help me with it. And then they'd talk it through, and I'd be like, wasting my time. Seriously. And then I'd raise my hand and ask the more important question. Is this going to be on the test? Years later, now I take classes out of Briarcrest in the master's program there. I'm the mature student. In fact, the last class I was in, I was the oldest person in the class. And I hear young students say, is this going to be on the test? And I go, oh, that was me. I'm a little embarrassed. Because now I need help in my real life. So the questions I'm asking are really pointed towards stuff that's going on. Not the test. If I get a bad, I just, I just want to pass the class. But I want to glean out of the class stuff for my real life. And you've been in that scenario too. Some of you, you've gone on the work site and then you've gone back to a classroom or a training place and you have way better questions. Way more helpful stuff because you're already on the mission. So this is what I'm saying is you go on mission for God no matter how equipped you feel, and you will come back to God with the right questions. You will come back to people who maybe are helping you with the right questions. It won't be just like, oh, well, you know, someday, you know, someday, eventually, I'll be on mission for God. No, you, there's, a, there's a vitality in embracing the mission. So that's why I almost say our mission statement should have another statement. I'm not totally sure what it is, but we strive to see all people reconciled to God. And by doing that, we will become mature in Christ. Now, we aren't changing our mission statement today, but I'm saying this is some of how some of my thinking has evolved. A few years ago, we, as a church, we began to reckon with the fact that Jesus was right. Jesus was right. <laughs> See, wow, every church should have figured that out a long time ago. Jesus was right. We figured that out a few years ago. Well, I, what, right about what? In Luke 10, what Doug was reading today, in Luke 10... Verses 1 to 9 is sort of the core passage for these whole four weeks. In Luke 10, he said that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we began to say that about, you know what? I think that's sort of true about Moose Jaw. I think that's sort of true about Hillcrest, that there is a plentiful harvest. There's a lot of people who are searching spiritually and not finding what they need. And yet the people who could tell them where, where to find that are few. Well, not that there, there's none, but it's not like as much as there is. It's not, it doesn't match the harvest. The amount of workers doesn't match the harvest. Jesus was saying that years ago. 
he was saying that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we started asking questions about our church. We started saying, how can we shift? What can we do? What can we do differently? And, and we ask you. We ask you, what ideas do you have? One of the ideas that happened in the very early stages was, what about Alpha? We could do the Alpha program. And we said, thank you. That's awesome. And we started doing that. And it's been a great blessing doing the Alpha program. We did a program called Sling Training. Jess Weiberg led that. Uh, awesome program to help people to learn to share their faith. And every year, in the last three years, we've spent four weeks just talking about this. Just talking about this. It's my favorite time of the year. It's become my favorite time of the year. These four weeks where we just talk about how can we take baby steps, but God-ordained, Jesus-described baby steps towards becoming more and more effective in uh, bringing in a, a greater harvest. And so I've been listening to the book uh, Prayer Evangelism by Ed Silvoso. And often this process is described as prayer evangelism. And, and I, I always thought it was a, a funny title, prayer evangelism. What, is, what does it really mean? But it really became clear to me just recently. It's because all of this hinges on prayer. All of this hinges on prayer. You think of what, Je- what Jesus said in Luke 10. He said, there's a, there's a big harvest and there's few workers. Pray about that. He said, ask the Lord of the harvest in Luke 10 too. Ask the Lord of harvest to, to send more workers. Right? I know a number of people who are all about mission that they stop at uh, 10.02 every morning and they pray that prayer. So it's Luke 10.2 and they stop at 10.02 and they say, God, would you raise up more people? Would you raise up more people to go into the harvest? So if there's a big harvest and there's few workers, well, then pray about that. If God is sending you but you don't want to go, pray about that. That's what he said. He said, he said what? Pray for more workers. And by the way, I'm sending you. Go. So as they were going, they were going two, and, two by two. So two people would be going together. Going, yeah, Jesus told us to go. And he also told us to pray that more people would go. Okay, let's do that while we're going. Lord, would you raise up more people who are going to say yes to God and who are going to go? Are you more, if you're more likely to blast someone than to bless them, pray about that. Pray that you'd be able to speak peace over those in your sphere of influence, whether that's your classroom or your workplace or your neighborhood. And then pray. Pray God's greatest blessing you can over the people in your sphere of influence. If you're more likely to withdraw from people than to spend time with people, pray about that. And when you're trying to meet needs, you run into needs that you personally can't meet. Pray about those. Maybe doors are closed that should be open. Pray that you'll have open doors. Maybe you're struggling to communicate clearly. Pray about that. I think this is why Jesus sent them out in prayers. So they'd have an automatic prayer partner because there's going to be so much praying about it that needed to happen in order for the mission to be accomplished. So this is God's mission. So we shouldn't be shy about asking him to resource us, asking him to equip us, asking him to train us, asking him to change the spiritual atmosphere around someone's life or around someone's home so that they're receptive to the gospel, so that they're open, so that spiritual blinders come off. We shouldn't be shy about praying those prayers. This is his mission. This is what he wants to do. I mean, Jesus is the one who said, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the doors will be opened. Now, I want to talk about one in particular that I think is a, a hindrance for a lot of us, including myself. Luke 10, 3, Jesus says, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Well, I mean, if you weren't nervous already, can you believe Jesus said this to them? Hey, go. He didn't say, hey, go, it's going to be great. Everyone's going to love you. He goes, no, you're going out as lambs among wolves. Whoa. It's like, hey, Jesus, I was already scared. Why did you say that? <laughs> right? I, I was reading that and just thinking about that. Sometimes we feel like that. We feel like, well, the people that I know in my workplace, in my classroom, in my, in my neighborhood, I, feel, I don't feel super safe around them. And, I mean, you use wisdom. You know, if there's someone who's truly dangerous, well, then, you know, use wisdom. But sometimes we feel like a vulnerable lamb among dangerous wolves. And I don't think the answer is to shrink back, but I think... In many cases, the answer is pray that God would give you a greater love for them. Pray that God would give you a greater trust in him 
I mean, lambs among wolves sounds scary, but it reminds me of another part of the Bible, pretty famous part of the Bible, which seems to be talking about something similar. Let me read it to you. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Hey, being a lamb sounds awesome right now. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And get this one. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Having a meal with the wolves, lambs among wolves, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Isn't that an incredible thing? God's going to lay out a, a meal for you with someone you're nervous to be with. And he's going to be with you. He says, in that scenario, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's turned into a wonderful welcome and feast. It's amazing. I mean, this eating with wolves thing is way better than I feared it would be. And then here's the, the, I love this clincher. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If God's goodness and love will follow you all the days of this life, and on top of that, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever after this life is over, you're covered. This life is dealt with. The life to come is secured. What are we worried about? I mean, I, I've been, this has been a, new, a thought for me for a few years now. It's like God has made me eternally rich, and I can never be made poor. My future is so bright, i got to wear shades. I mean, it's awesome. So what am I still doing here? Well, there are lots of people here who their future is not bright. So I'm a, I have to be on mission. I'm on mission. God has blessed me. He's blessed me so much that no matter what injustice comes in my life, I can never be a victim. I'll always be a blessed man. I already have that. That's already been secured for me in Jesus. But there are others who don't have that. We should be the ones who live with peace and a hope that drives us to care for people who we might naturally be afraid of. Firstly, because our shepherd is going with us, and secondly, because we have something that other people don't have, and we want them to have it too. Other people don't have the confidence that because of Jesus, God is turning everything in life into good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. They don't have that. Other people don't know that because of Jesus, God's desire is to be for them and not against them. Other people don't know that because of Jesus, God is not treating them as their sins deserve. Other people don't know that because of Jesus, God is willing to make them a dearly loved son or daughter. Other people don't know that because of Jesus, they can know that their eternity is secured. But you do. Do you? This is true for you. Now, if you're listening to this, whether online or here in the house, and you're going, well, I don't know that, but I'd love to know that. You can have these things in your life. You can have these things in your life. Let me just read to you God's, uh, just a, a snapshot of God's heart for you. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So let me just make it personal for you. For God so loved you, just in case you're missing it. I don't know who needs to hear this right now. You are so loved. You are so, so loved by God. For God so loved you that he gave you his one and only son. That if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. So I don't know who needs to hear that right now, but just, I, want you to be, I want it to be absolutely clear. God so loves you that he sent Jesus to take your place. When we talk about the cross, he went to the cross. He took on the cross. He took all the blame and the shame for anything we've ever done. 
so that we could have his forgiveness and we could have his leadership for our lives. And that's what could be yours today. That's what could be yours today. You could just write today, give your life to Christ. You've been leading it on your own. How's it gone? He's willing to lead and guide you. I'm going to, right now, I just want to lead you in a prayer. This could, for many of you, this could be a prayer you pray every day, and it's just a recommitment and just a reminder of what's true already about you. But for some of you, this could be a very first commitment to Christ where you just say, I want what he has for me. I want all the goodness he can pour into my life. I want, I need his forgiveness. I recognize that his forgiveness for my sin is necessary. What he did on the cross was necessary, and it was also enough. I don't need to add to it with my good works. I, don't, I can't, actually. I needed what he did. I needed him, his perfect sinless sacrifice to make up for my, my selfishness, my sinfulness. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And again, if you're, if you're here, I'm going to invite you to say this out loud and just to repeat after me style. If you're here and this, you're a Christian, well, you won't have a problem with this prayer because this already represents you. But if you're not... Maybe this is a moment where you just want to you say yes to God. Yes to all that he can be for you in the days ahead. Let's pray. Just repeat after me. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus. As my Lord and Savior, help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I mean, if you committed your life to Christ today, please tell somebody. Maybe you came to church with them and you know that they are already a follower of Jesus, then tell them. Uh, Or maybe you know somebody. Or if you don't know anybody, find me after church and just tug on my arm and say, you told me to tell someone, I'm telling you, okay? That would be awesome because this is not a solo thing. This is uh, something that people will want to encourage you in and help you walk in. We've been talking uh, of church this, in the fall, we did, we, we did an assessment. We, we rolled out our discipleship pathway, uh, you know, sort of the five big things that I already talked about. Celebrate big and connect small, walk with Jesus, share the work, engage in mission. And then all sorts of things that could come under that. And then we asked people to do an online assessment and sort of determine what is God calling you? What is the Holy Spirit nudging you in you to take as your next step of following Jesus? What's the area he wants you to grow in in this season? And so we had that out and people went on, and a whole bunch of people went on. And um, the number one answer was... Just spend more time with Jesus. That was the number one answer. So people put that as the number one answer. But you know what the number two answer was? And we're talking amongst many, many, many options. The number two answer was this. Um, About half of you, half the people who did the survey said this. I need to start a personal prayer list and pray consistently for people I can share the gospel with. Half of the people, that was the response. That that was an important next step for them. If you look in the bench in front of you, uh, there's probably going to be a little uh, bookmark there. Just pull it out right now. Pull it out right now. Let me know you're with me. You can wave it. Wave it. Ah, there we go. Okay, great. Um, So we said, if you're going to assess what your next step is, we're going to try to do our best to figure out ways, and we really didn't know how we're going to do this totally, how we're going to encourage you to take that next step because we want you to win in the area that God is calling you to advance in. And so we, we prepared this little booklet. So basically, I mean this bookmark, basically it's a place where you can, you, can, you can think thoughtfully about, Lord, who is it that you want me to be praying for regularly? That the spiritual atmosphere will change in their home or over their lives and that there will be a great big open door for them uh, to be in relationship but also to come in uh, to be open to the gospel. And so you might have people on the list, it's only eight spots. Some of you are like, I need two bookmarks, grab two. You know, look over to another bench that doesn't, that's got some. Grab two. Whatever. But start praying for people. Start praying for people. And you know what I would encourage you to do? Is pray for the people that you have regular contact with. 
Pray for the people you have regular contact with. You say, well, I've got a cousin, and they're on the other side of the globe, and we talk every five years. Yeah, you could pray for them too. I, nothing wrong with that. But I would talk to the people. I would say the people that are in your sphere of influence, you have regular contact with, pray for them. And pray that God would open doors. And pray that God would change your heart. And pray prayers of blessing of them. And, and begin uh, praying uh, for them. And that's because you want to be actively involved. And the people you see most regularly are going to be the people that it's going to be the most active with. So I would say take that and take some time to just think about some of the people that you're, you're engaging with more regularly that don't know Jesus and pray and pray. So that's half of you who said you were, you were uh, those who filled out that survey said that's what you need to grow in this year. And so we want to support you in doing this. So it can be your, any of your spheres of influence, your job, your classroom, your neighborhood. I tend to focus on my neighborhood because every time I go to my job, I look around and there's just a lot of Christians there. And I think, I don't think this is the, you know, a big harvest field as much at my job. But in my neighborhood, it's incredible. I have a great neighborhood. I love my neighborhood. I love Blue Bell Crescent. Absolutely. Love, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got some friends on Blue Bell. That's awesome. It's a great neighborhood. It's full of great people. And you know what helps me to see them as great people? Praying prayers of blessing. No, it's not like they aren't great people. But here's the thing. The tipping point between whether you like your neighbors or don't like your neighbors could simply be whether you're believing great things for them or whether you're expecting bad. I don't, oh, this is a silly illustration. My brother Dave, he told me, when you go to college, he says, I'm going to tell you a secret. I said, what's the secret? He says, you might end up with a, a roommate you're embarrassed of in the dorm. I said, oh, yeah, that wouldn't be good. He says, you can fix it right away. How do you fix it? He says, you just tell everybody how cool they are. I said, that works? He says, everyone's just getting out of high school. They don't know what the new rules are. <laughs> I was like, I guess that's true. I don't know what the new rules are. So I got to Bible college, and I was just like, right, no matter who my, my roommate are, no matter what how strange they are, I'm going to tell everybody from the get-go how cool they are. And so I got there, and my roommate hadn't arrived. He was coming from Norway. Ole Christian Anskeland, six foot two and even taller in his wooden shoes. And <laughs> I told everybody, man, my roommate's not here yet, but he's from Norway. He's a really cool guy. He's going to be amazing. He's just, oh, man, it's gonna, we're going to be amazing together. It's going to be so great. And then he arrived, and I was like, hi. Um, I told everybody how cool he was. Now, it wasn't a hard sell because he was a great guy. But it could have been a hard sell. Here's the thing. Pray for your neighborhood. And pray blessing. And you know what? You're going to find the more you pray blessing over their lives, the more you like them. The more you're thankful for them. The more you appreciate them. It's just going to naturally happen because uh, it's hard to pray for people and dislike them long term. It, it just changes things. So, next week we're going to talk about do I know what my neighbors need? But before you can answer a question like that, you got to get to know your neighborhood. You got to get to know your neighbors. I mean, maybe a good starting place. Do you know your neighbors' names? Like, take the radius around your house. So I guess if you're on a normal street, you, you can look across and see about three houses, and then you got one on here. So you got five houses around you. Do you know all the neighbors' names in those houses? That'd be a great place to start. Just get to know their names. Now, to accomplish that, you might have to do some stuff. Like, you might see them coming home and about to head into their into their yard or whatever, or their garage, and you might have to sprint out of your house to catch them and go, hey, how's it going? Hey, hey, it's good to see you, right? I don't know what you'll do, but you know what? It'll change you. It'll change you in a good way. If you want to know what their needs are down the road, you've got to know their names first, and you've got to have, spend time with them to do it. And that's what Jesus said to do. He said spend time. Luke, Luke um, yeah, 10, 7 and 8 is where he, he says this. He says, uh, let me just go back to my, my scripture notes. This is me lost in my notes every week. Oh, thank you. So stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And then verse 8 when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. To you. And um, I love it how he, uh, years ago, 2008, I was in Africa, Burkina Faso. And we went to a village. And when we got to the village, um, they had, I 
you know, a team of Canadians had come there to, you know, see what we could do and stuff like that. And we got to this village, and they had prepared a supper for us. And so there was sort of an inner rig of logs we could sit on, and then an outer ring where everyone from the village sat. And so they made this meal for us, and we started to eat the meal. And um, I noticed that nobody from the village was eating a meal. We were eating a meal, but they weren't eating a meal. And I thought, are we eating their meal? Is this a huge sacrifice to host us as Canadians and to give us the best meal they possibly can? And then we were eating their food. So I sort of am looking at this, and I didn't know all the answers to all my questions, but I thought, they are really honoring us, so I am going to make a great effort to be thankful and grateful. So I'm eating the meal and enjoying the meal and interacting with different ones. And, you know, hi, I'm Steve. I'm from Canada. I don't know much French. Sorry. You know, stuff like that. But we're having a good conversation, you know, interaction and stuff like that. And then from across the circle on one of the other logs, a younger lady who was part of the Canadian group. And this Canadian group was some were Christians and some weren't. But she was on this other log and she said, uh, she said, called out to me and she said, she knew I was, I like to eat. And she said, uh, Ah, Steve, I can't really finish this. You know, do you want to eat it for me? Oh. I, was, I was like, oh, what are you doing? Now, what I wanted to do as a dad was to go over there and say, listen, young lady, you are going to finish that food. People worked hard to prepare it for you and sacrifice so you could have it. You're going to eat everything on your plate. You stay there and eat what you've been given which is the words of Jesus from Luke 10. <laughs> that's not how I hear Jesus saying it, but that's what I felt like doing. Instead, I just, instead what happened was I, I just was like, oh, oh no, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to eat your food and stuff like that. And I, but I'm just like, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you not even thinking about the people who've sacrificed to give you this meal? I was so like, uh. So I, I gratefully received her food and then ate that second portion with a smile on my face and looking around and thinking, uh, we're going to have a talk when we get in the van. You know, anyhow. <laughs> Stay there, he says. You may have a tendency in your life to withdraw from relationship. People say, hey, you start chatting, and then there's sort of a limit, right? It's like, wow, we've talked for two minutes, and now I'm uncomfortable because the conversation might get a little bit more personal or it might get a little bit more uh, past what the weather is like, and so now I'm going to disengage. I want you to hear Jesus not like a scolding father, but Jesus just simply saying, stay. Just stay there. Just stay there. And when people say, hey, you want to come over and, uh, you know, you want to see the mulch around my trees or do you want to see, you know, or do you want to come over for a drink? You say, yes, even though you want to say no. And then people say, hey, do you want to, do you want to have something to eat? And you say, in your mind, that's not what I like to eat. That's my, my personal preference. But you say, yes, yes, stay there. Spend time with them. There's a time barrier in our lives. We're busy people. We, we, are, we are tyrannized by our urgency. For me, what works, I, I, I'm just as afflicted with it as anyone else. I'm on the run, and, I, and because of that, I sometimes miss relationships. Here's what helps me in my neighborhood. I try to, when the weather's nicer in the winter, I don't like to do this, but I try to do a slow walk around the neighborhood and pray. I don't pray out loud. I don't make a big deal that I am praying. But I pray, pray prayers of blessing, and pray for God would give me opportunities. That changes my mentality. So if someone strikes up a conversation with me or says hi, I linger more because I've been praying for that to happen. Um, I also, I desire this summer, last year we built a deck. This summer my desire is to invite many people to come and hang out on the deck and eat and drink uh, with me. And I want to be ready to say yes, to listen to others, tell their stories, and to spend time with them as well. Because spending time with someone, it's opening the door to their heart. Like, they don't know you, you don't know them, but what hopefully they discover about you is that they can trust you and that you care about people. If anyone's going to open up their heart or their life to you, there needs to be some level of trust. And you only can do that through spending time together. You know, one of the ways I found just interpersonally how it happens, I asked that question at the beginning about have you ever helped a neighbor or been helped by a neighbor? Because I found that that's been a great door to, to relationship. 
And it's not, here's the thing, I don't want you to have some sort of savior complex that you are only going to help people and never receive help, because that's broken. It's natural for in a friendship, in a relationship, that you give and receive, right? So I will ask my neighbors, not falsely, but truth, truthfully, how to get rid of the weeds that show up on my lawn when I see my neighbor has a really awesome lawn, right? Or, you know, tell me about your career path. How did you get into that amazingly unique role that you, you fulfill in this community? How, how does people even do that job? What does your job entail? I'll ask them, what, tell me about your family. Tell me about your kids. Because I want to I know them. But I receive help and I give help. So I try, to, I try to serve in my community, but also I'm open to other people serving me as well because that's what life is like. That's normal life, right? To give and to receive. And I, I, we looked across the cultural barriers in our neighborhood, the racial barriers in our neighborhood, economic barriers that might be, or local uh, barriers. If someone's been whispered about in the neighborhood that don't watch, watch out for those people, then we think, okay, Lord, help us to be able to engage with grace. We want to find ways to do this. You know, we did that same survey in the fall. 46 of you, that's almost as much as 55. 46 of you said that one of your next steps was to find ways to intentionally position yourself to make connections and to develop friendships with people who don't know Jesus. Well, I'm trying to give you a few tidbits today, but really, just start praying for that. Keep praying for that, that God would give you those opportunities, and then stay there. Don't withdraw, even though that might be your natural tendency. You know, Jesus is the incredible example of all this, and I just want to end with talking about Jesus here. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is about Jesus. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And what did his glory look like? It was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. I was listening to Ed Silvoso in the Prayer Evangelism book. I've just been listening to it on the local library app, Hoopla. And he just is hammering this point that actually the order matters. That what people saw first about Jesus was his grace and not the truth. Truth wasn't the first thing. It wasn't the leading thing. And I was a little bit like, okay, prove your point. And I've been listening to him more and more and just trying to get the sense of it. But I think that he's on to something. That I think people first saw grace and they saw truth. Because there's something about how he interacted with people that wouldn't have made sense otherwise. The people that were drawn to Jesus most powerfully were the people who were the most notorious sinners in their neighborhood. The woman who was actually caught in the act of adultery. What did she experience? Everyone was ready to stone her. Jesus writes in the sand a big story, and, and, he said, and then all the accusers go away. He experienced, she experiences safety and the protection with Jesus. And he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. And there's only one left who can really accuse her. And that's the one who is without sin. He's allowed to cast a stone. And that's Jesus. And he says, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. She experiences grace. Now, in that same conversation, she experiences some truth. He says, now go, sin no more. Don't do this anymore, right? For many reasons. But she experiences grace. I think of the story Jesus tells about the prodigal son. This smelly son comes home who's been uh, feeding pigs. He's covered in pig slop and filth and dirt. And the father does not say, whoa, you stink, get a bath. He runs towards him and he embraces him and he hugs him. Even while the son is trying to give his recited speech about, he just, dad, I can't be a son anymore, just make me a servant. And he just throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Like a, only a Mediterranean father can. <laughs> it was a big hug before the big bath. So many times we want the big bath before the big hug. We got to get the order right. He came full of grace and truth. So Jesus wasn't, it wasn't that Jesus didn't have truth. My, oh my goodness. Incredible truth. Crazy truth. Give your life for it. Lay down your life truth. If anyone wants to come, follow me. He's got to lose his life. He's got to carry his cross. He's got to, I got to be his one and his, his highest love. You know, Jesus, whoa, my goodness. The truth was incredible. But you know what he led with? Grace. And that's why 
People mocked Jesus. They said, he's, he's a friend of sinners. They said that as an insult. For us, that's a compliment. Right? If only I could be called a friend of sinners. If only I could have the same label as Jesus. If only people would say, oh, Steve, you know what? He'll hang out with anyone. He'll love anyone. He'll accept anyone. I mean, he doesn't accept every idea, but he accepts every person. Like Jesus did. You know, the only people Jesus really pushed back on were the super religious people that were making things so hard for people to accept the gospel. By adding to it and and trying to make it all about self-righteousness and all sorts of different ways. Zacchaeus, the biggest crook in Palestine. Jesus came, he said, Zacchaeus, he was up in a tree because he was short. And he wanted to see over the crowd and see Jesus. And Jesus sees him in the tree. That's the first thing he was noticed. There's a lot of people. They wonder if God even notices them. Jesus sees him in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. (laughs) I love that. It's Jesus like, you're going to meet my needs. You're going to serve me, right? We're going to have relationship that way. I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to your house. Nobody wants to go to your house. You're the biggest crook in the the whole neighborhood. He didn't say that. But that's the truth, right? I'm going to do something totally out of character for most people who would be called a rabbi or a religious good guy in this neighborhood. I'm going to come, and I'm going to go to your house, and we're going to spend time together. What a shock for people to hear. What a shock in a good way for Zacchaeus to know, I'm safe with this guy. This guy... There's no way he's going to reject me. That's what sinners fear. That's what we all fear. I mean, do you have somebody who's just got everything together in every which way? How eager are you to hang out with them? Jesus was perfectly sinless and people flocked to him. It's because he led with grace. He led with grace. In fact, that's what our scripture says that we were reading earlier, that our speech is supposed to be full of grace. Jesus was full of grace. Our speech is supposed to be full of grace. When we encounter people, we want them to encounter Jesus. We want them to encounter Jesus in us. So the woman at the well, Jesus said, hey, would you give me a drink of water? He engaged in a relationship. And then by the time their interaction was done, she was running into the town and she said, come, see this guy who told me everything about me. And her track record was something that people in that town would have said was something to be ashamed of. But Jesus had so much grace that her, his knowing everything about her it wasn't, wasn't a threat. She knew that rejection was not even a possibility with Jesus. And so you can handle a lot of truth when you've got it wrapped in that kind of package. You can handle people calling you to repent and change your life and walk away from selfishness and change the way you think and come follow me. You can handle those things when it's, when it's in a package of grace. Because otherwise, all of those commands are just, are just hopeless for us because we can't obey them and we can't fulfill them and, and we're going to fail and we're going to disappoint. And here is Jesus, full of grace, and truth, making those calls, making those divine truths that were exacting and costly in the extreme, he's making them palatable because the context of grace. I think the Lord's grace conveyed that they had nothing to lose and everything to gain by following him. All right. I got two steps of application for you. Two steps of application. Did you grab the bookmark and fill it out? You might not have filled it out. It's okay. You can still fill it out. But take it with you. Take it with you. Really think about that. Who can I pray for? 
Who can I pray for? Here's the second one. Here's the second one. Today is a beautiful day. It's a beautiful spring day. I checked the forecast. Partially sunny, plus seven, pretty decent. Go for a slow walk through your neighborhood. I mean, I'm talking about the kind of slow walk where you're really open for it to get even slower, where you're open to someone engaging you or for you engaging someone else and having a conversation. Now, if you don't run into anybody, no worries. Just pray through your neighborhood. Go buy houses. Start seeing how many names you know of the people in your, in your sphere. And ask God to put a love in your heart for them. Ask God to uh, put words of blessing on your tongue as you pray for them. And pray for them to flourish and to be blessed and all the good things that you'd want for your own family. And obviously you're going to pray that they come to know Jesus because that is the greatest blessing you can experience in, the, in, in life at all. So pray for those things. So just go for a slow walk. That would be my second suggestion. Maybe you got your day all scheduled up. Maybe you'll have to do this another time. But I would encourage you, today is beautiful. The weather's nice. Just go for that slow walk. Pray your way through the neighborhood. And be open for someone to, to be part of that if, some, if you have a, a chance to engage. And then when you engage, stay there. Stay there. You might have something in you, inside you that says, it's been two minutes, time to tap out. I just, just stay there. Be comfortable. Let the other person tap out. Listen more than you talk. Ask questions about their lives. Ask questions about their area of expertise. And trust that God's working in all of these things. That he'll use you to. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Lord of the harvest. This is your mission. Your heart is overflowing with love towards the people that don't know that love yet. So Lord, we just want our hearts to match that. We want our hearts to resemble yours. Lord, I, I pray that you would guide us into the shifts we need to make. I mean, it's one thing to proclaim that you are here to bring people into relationship with God forever. But it's another thing for our lives to line up with that proclamation, for our lifestyle to match it, for our actions and the way that we live to shift towards that more and more and more. And so, Lord, would you show us the next step, the next step of obedience? Sometimes we can be overwhelmed for that there's so much that needs to change in us. Lord, I pray you just show us the next right thing to do, the next one thing that is we can say yes to and walk in and then help us to obey. Yeah. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're our shepherd, even when we get into those situations where we feel like lambs with wolves. You're our shepherd. You're our guide. You're the one who provides. And Lord, we do ask you'd raise up more harvesters, more workers, more people whose heart beats in sync with your heart for the people of of this community and the people of the world. And so as we go, would you send more to go with us? We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen.